Hey guys, and welcome to episode 28 of Underrated, a podcast where we look at films we believe are underrated, generally disliked, or simply forgotten. I'm your host, Gabriel Green, and uh, joining me today is not James Hamrick. Um, he uh, is like totally lost his priorities, something about responsibilities or something, I don't know. Um, so we got someone who does have his priorities straight, uh, Mikey Fizzle from Real World Theology. What's up, man? <laughs> that is that is such a, an amazing intro, because if you could have been privy to the conversation that I was having just before I came on this podcast <laughs> about my priorities, <laughs> then, uh, that, anyway, that would be as ironic to you as it is to me. But uh, hey, it's, I'm, I'm glad to be not James, and I'm glad to be here. So uh, thanks for having me. It's awesome having you on. Um, so before we move on, I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself or like anything you might be up to online currently. Uh, well, uh, I feel like if anyone has heard of me before, it's either because I probably made someone mad on the internet, or uh, you've you found my podcast, Real World Theology. It's R E E L World Theology, where we take a look at mostly current films, and it's it's kind of a review. I describe it as a pendulum, really. Like we swing somewhere between kind of like a, a thematic, sociological, theological view of a film. Uh, and a critical eye of a film. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's it's a lot of fun. And we have a pretty fun community. It's surprising how many people are interested in talking about film more than, man, that explosion was cool. Which I think, I think I'm probably in good company there. So uh, <laughs> though with this, with this particular movie, that might be well, <laughs> yeah. as deep as we get sometimes. Well, and see, that's the thing. So that that's why I would say, uh, what was our, so our tagline is "Stories powerful, entertainment's not mindless." If you listen to any episode of Real World Theology, you're going to hear me say that it's our tagline. Uh, you know, post it on anything, make a sticker, whatever, get a tattoo, who cares? Um, but I would say that no matter what film it is, there's always something else going on there. Um, that explosions are cool, but sometimes explosions can be significant because they can point to something else, whether it be justice or injustice, uh, uh, pride, glory, uh, the, the elevation of a hero. So all this, like it's, it's ticking some boxes somewhere in our subconscious. And I, I just love digging into whatever that is. And Armageddon is no different. <laughs> oh wait, did I spoil the fact that we're going to do Armageddon? Uh, well, I was going to ask you what, what we're looking at. So yeah, <laughs> you answered it already. Um, yeah, so yeah, Arm- Arm- Armageddon is, is no different to me. All right, so yeah, as you said, we're looking at uh, Michael Bay's Armageddon this week. But before we get into that, uh, have you seen any cool movies lately you want to mention? Um, this is another great question because I, it's, I always wonder, I hear you ask this question to other guests, and I'm like, what's the statute of limitations on this? Like, how, how, how recent is recent? Because I would say um, I actually did rewatch Armageddon in preparation for this podcast, which I obviously, being on the podcast to talk about it, think that's a pretty great movie. <laughs> uh, I did get to see Logan recently, um, and we recorded an episode on it. Um, Logan was uh, probably every bit as good as I had hoped it would be from the uh, from the trailers. So if I, you know, discerning audiences, you know, it, it, it is a rated R film, but it is, it is, uh, one of the better films of 2017. And I think that is saying something. Um, 
I think the I think the specific question was things that I was excited that I've seen recently. Honest, honestly, for for us, since we do this every week, it's kind of a a recap of what we've seen in the last week. But uh, I don't know, any, uh, anything you want to mention? So I would say that I would be more excited to tell you that I went to see Kong Skull Island last night, but I did not get to see it, and instead due to time restraints and those priorities we were talking about a little earlier, I ended up going to see the shack instead because of, uh, obligations for upcoming podcast episodes. So I can't exactly say that that's something that I was excited that I saw (laughs) (laughs) or that I really, really enjoyed. Um, I wish I could have said that I went to see Kong skull Island, um, instead, because I think I would have really enjoyed that based on lots of the, words floating about the internet but um you know the shack's got its own audience i wasn't super excited but that's most of what i've seen re- recently mostly just trying to catch up with tv man it's just so hard anything cool going on there uh well so there's a couple shows that the wife and i try to keep up with um we pretty much hate watch the walking dead because uh one of um uh, one of the staff over at World World, Gene um, Gozenhammer, <laughs> he uh, he he does reviews weekly, and I want to be able to like this talk it with him. And, and, and that's that's another thing. I, I love entertainment for its ability to connect with other people, you know, um, for good or for worser. <laughs> that you know, when you walk into a room and you don't know anybody, you the one of the ideal questions is, "Oh man, have you seen blank?" And being able to say that you've seen blank automatically gives you a door into making a connection with that person. And then so, crush their dreams um, by saying how much you hated and, it. And then cry, <laughs> and crush their Well, I mean, you know, there's a little bit of discernment, hopefully, in, in those conversations where you're like, hey, oh, yeah, the, yeah, I did see this last week's episode of The Walking Dead. It was certainly an episode of The Walking Dead, <laughs> you know. But, you know, that's what you get. That's what you can turn, you know, like you kind of try to keep a positive attitude about it. And you, you, you say, oh, well, what did you like about it? Obviously, you really enjoyed it. You know, so, and I love hearing about what people enjoyed about film and TV. But uh, The Walking Dead, we've uh, we're watching the last season of Black Sails. I'm really enjoying that. Um, I wish more people were watching that, but I can understand why um, some people got turned off in the first season. But uh, what, this is us. We are with the major- We are with 15 million other Americans uh, weekly, crying our eyes out at this show. I, I need to so start that. that. That's been, that's been great. Well, I mean, just you know, tissues, man, tissues. <laughs> it's well, uh, see, and that's that's it. I would actually love to see a whole bunch of different demographic people like watch this is us and see if they connect with it at all. And when they do like what, where, where is it in the show? Because to me, there's a lot of, there's a lot of father son stuff that happens in the show. Right up my alley. And uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a, a, a one year, uh, worth of experience dad now. And I realize as soon as I became a father, I, I weep all the time, <laughs> especially at father son stuff. So it, it, every week I feel like I'm just, I'm I'm tearing up. My wife's tearing up, and and we're enjoying it because it's not just. I don't feel like it's emotionally manipulative, um, like maybe some scenes in Armageddon, <clears throat> but uh, no. But uh, but uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's been it's just really well written, and it's I feel like it's one of the most honest shows on TV. So, uh, I mean, that's most of it. You know, there's lots of miscellaneous things, and but that's not hopefully the whole podcast. Just me talking about what I watch on TV because <laughs> that would be pretty boring. 
But anyway, I'm, I'm sure you've been seeing some new things, right? Yes. Um, I've seen a Kong Skull Island. We were actually invited onto the Story to Screen podcast to talk about it. So uh, go check that out if you're, after you're done listening here. I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, the main thing I loved was just the visuals. It's the director. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a fairly before this he was a fairly indie director, but he has a, a very good eye for capturing just these beautiful compositions. You can see it like in the posters. I was going to say the posters look amazing. If, if it was any reflection on what you'd actually get in the movie, just more reason that I was excited about it. Yeah. It's just gorgeous. Every, every nearly every frame is, is like, could be just, you could frame it like as a painting. I mean, it, it is shot by Larry Fong, who's Zack Snyder's cinematographer. Um, so it definitely looks great. Um, I, other, other than the visuals and the big smashing action, I'm not t- too terribly high on it. Just, I think it's the characters are pretty flat and the plot isn't really there, but if you're going for just dinosaurs, smashing thing, not dinosaurs, uh, big apes, smashing things, there's plenty of that, and it all looks great. The effects are good. Just, yeah. I think it's pretty much a forgettable popcorn film with a very, a very good look. I mean, that's that's, I think actually high praise because it's. I think it's incredibly difficult to make a good monster film these days. Yeah, I guess I like. I think I like Godzilla a bit more. It was a bit. A bit I think just as, as a full, it was. It, I definitely have issues with that. But I think as a, as a full product, it was a bit more consistent. But I definitely see why someone would like this more than that one too. Well, I think it's. I think a lot of it's expectation, almost like any any movie that you go into. Uh, you know, you expect one thing, you get something completely different. I mean, it's. I think it's one of the reasons why people like like something like Ten Cloverfield Lane so much last year. You just had no expectations, so the ability to be surprised or shocked just kind of added to the mystery of the film. The the thing I liked about Godzilla was that it actually, for the most part, wasn't a monster movie. It was basically a horror film um, filmed with a really, 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 really big monster. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I would expect Kong Skull Island, again, though I haven't seen it, I'm hoping it scratches the itch something like Pacific Rim did, where... You know, your characters aren't incredibly deep. Your dialogue's not excessive, you know, incredibly mind-blowing. But you string together a pretty decent story to get to the things that we all paid, you know, our hard-earned money to see. Mm-hmm. And, it, and then when we see it on screen, we are immersed in how good it looks. Um, yeah, I think Pacific Rim's a little better, but the, the vibe is there just... And then the, the, you got Samuel Jackson speechifying, and that's always awesome too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, the other, I finally got around to seeing uh, Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. Um, I thought it was good. I wasn't expecting it to be like so, f- like completely fractured in its narrative. There's really, it's mm-hmm. basically a series of shorts that are only very loosely related, and each mm-hmm. one centers around a conversation. And uh, so, like, I mean. It's awesome showcase for Quentin Tarantino's like incredible dialogue abilities. I mean, mo- most oh, of them yeah. are completely spellbinding, even though they're completely irrelevant to anything in the rest of the film. But yep. It, but it is it's two 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 and a half hours long, and some of the conversations aren't terribly interesting. So, in between just the amazing dialogue and the incredible acting from all the cast, there are some parts where it's just like I'm really feeling the runtime, and. uh it was a, kind of a disappointing coming from other his, especially his later films where I think they're just so perfect, whether I like the message or not. They just, 
Well, especially like the hateful light, they just feel like this one organic piece building to this inevitable conclusion, and that really wasn't mm-hmm. here. Um, so, and I could, I think I could kind of feel in these early Tarantino, this one in Reservoir Dogs, that he's. It seems like he might. He's kind of showing off just how brilliant he is, and just like behind the camera, just <laughs> giggling at how awesome his dialogue is. And I think it, it, it gets a bit more polished later on. Uh, so it, it's not my favorite. Uh, Quentin, uh, Quentin Tarantino film, but just it's still got some incredible acting and dialogue and just a, f- a fun sense of style. Yeah, I think when, when it comes to Pulp Fiction, I it, it's hard to say because I did see it so like well, I say so long ago. I saw it many years ago for the first time, and I've seen it a couple times since. But it strikes me at, in the same vein as when I tell people from like a, a slightly a younger generation like i'm I'm that old <laughs> yeah i mean like you know people who are you know five to ten years younger than me and i i say you know what film that you have to see you have to see the usual suspects and i've realized since then that i really don't want to be there when they watch it because they're they're never going to enjoy it as much as i did mm-hmm. um because it's a film um where when it when it came out like when pulp fiction came out when the usual suspects came out you didn't have anyone making films on the whole, at least in popular film culture like that. So Pulp Fiction, when it came out, it was like a revelation. It was like you, you can't make a film like this and it be this good. Like this doesn't make sense. And since then, you know, so many people have copied Tarantino. They've copied the, the, you know, the nonlinear style, the, the the extensive amounts of dialogue so conversation carries film instead of action like there's so much there kind of like when you get double turns at the end of a film as a like a normal thing mm-hmm. these days double turns weren't a normal thing and then you know so you so someone with modern film sensibilities who goes back and watch the usual suspects you're expecting like oh well that's what they were leading you to but then there's another one and then another swerve and um, so it doesn't surprise you because that people use that kind of trope so often now yeah it's like go, going to and, see godzilla I mean, uh, the original king kong after seeing uh kong skull island it's not yeah i mean like yeah you're like whoa this well yeah i saw this already except obviously i saw it you know done with better special effects and you know more recent actors and stuff like that so um I, I always wondered how people who did not like they weren't watching Pulp Fiction like age appropriate movies when Pulp Fiction came out, uh, like how that how that would translate, because I still think it's one of his best films. Um, mm-hmm. Not that we're here to talk about Pulp Fiction, <laughs> but that did just remind me of that. OK. And uh, lastly, I saw a uh, train to Busan. It's a South Korean zombie film. Um, it. The director, Yan Sang-ho, I think's his name. Uh, he's All he's done previously was animation, but uh, I, I found this to be a very uh, impressive live-action debut. Um, it's very much in the spirit and style of the, the World War Z film from like 2014. Mm-hmm. Just you know, the fast zombies and a constant like driving pace. And uh, I, I really, really love this movie. Um, it's just a very simple premise, zombies on a train. And it's like it's very lean there's like there's no frills or needless side plots it's just <laughs> we're on this train zombies want to eat us we're trying to live what else do you yeah need? and um 
it it just it moves is constantly up in the ante finding just creative ways to keep things interesting and whenever it starts to slow down there's a new element introduced and what was most what most surprised me was that this film actually how how hard it hit me emotionally like these characters they're all very simple but there's something they're all just really human and like you don't you don't need to to do a lot to characters to make them work and these the characters and their little arcs they have really really uh work in the end so it all just comes together to a great little tight film mm. yeah i did i did see i think it was today that that you'd posted that you'd seen that was it that today yeah i saw last, last night i saw it last Ooh. night and then posted it afterwards yeah and and it's on this this incredibly long list of films from 2016 that i had not had a chance to see yet Oh man, it's sitting there. It's sitting there in that queue, and and you saying that only reinforced my desire to watch it. I see oh, your, your uh, Skype pick is "Zombies Chase Us" for your shirt. That's funny. Oh, yeah. It's, it says like I like you, but if zombies uh. chase us, I'm tripping you or something like that. <laughs> yeah, my stepbrother got me that. He knows me. All right, I, anything else you want to mention before we move on? Oh no, man! I, like I said, I, I feel like we could. I have thought about having a podcast purely about week to week, you know, viewing just because there is so much out there. I truly feel like we live in like a golden age of entertainment. Like stories are being told so well, like everyone could sit and talk for hours about the stuff they're, uh, they're watching. And I also am, I'm continually pitching my 2017 is going to be another stellar 2015 esque year in film. So uh, man, let's not get sidetracked too long. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move into our main review for Armageddon. Armageddon was released in 1998. It was directed by Michael Bay on a budget of $140 million. It grossed $553 million. It was written by Jonathan Hensley, Tony Gilroy, Shane Salerno, or Salerno, and J.J. Abrams, a little unknown uh, filmmaker. <laughs> and it has a pretty incredible cast. Uh, Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck, Billy Bob Thornton, Liv Tyler, Steve Buscemi, William Fichtner, Michael Clark Duncan, Owen Wilson, Peter Stormare, Will Patton, Jason Isaacs, and Keith David. And the score was composed by Trevor Rabin, and it was shot by Jason Schwartzman. And I'll get you to read a brief synopsis, Mikey. Yeah, so Armageddon, uh, for those of you who don't know, after discovering that an asteroid the size of Texas is going to impact Earth, oh, in less than a month, NASA recruits a misfit team of deep core drillers to save the planet. Nice. <laughs> I was like, what more do you need to know? Yeah, all right. Uh, so, so, Mikey, you're the guest and this is your pick. I'll, I'll let you go first. What do you think about this movie? What do I think about this movie? So, um, I, f I feel that this is probably my, my go-to pick for when someone, we, we have the discu discussion about subjectivity and objectivity in film <laughs> because, uh, there's this and then there's like Starship Troopers. Um, and I want to say there's probably one other that, uh, I'm just forgetting off the top of my head. That that I say 
I totally get why people think this is a dumb film. Um, and I think a lot of that is retroactive because, uh, sure, it's a Michael Bay film and it's and it's pretty cool and hip to hate on Michael Bay, you know, especially these mm-hmm. days. Um so I say, hey, this can easily be written off as a dumb blockbuster, and I don't even think that's without merit, because, like I said, you know, you, you go down the list, uh, Michael Bay, check, you know, it's got uh, a sprawling cast like you would see a blockbuster have, it's got incredibly huge set pieces, it's got ch- the cheesy dialogue, it's got the over-the-top moments, it's got you know, cliche back to back with cliche back to back with predictable scene. Uh, it's got incredibly, uh, massive, uh, destruction scenes <laughs> where, where just things are blowing up for almost no reason. Sometimes it's got hey, it's got a, like a pop rock song loudly played like in the middle of the movie that completely takes you out of the movie, but it's obviously a popular song that's going to be, you know, hitting the charts pretty hard. And then that <laughs> same song gets played during the credits. So you can be all super emotional and realize how they didn't want to get like a real soundtrack. They just wanted to get like some popular band to sell, like cross promote with MTV or something. Like, like I said, it's just checking so many boxes for dumb blockbuster. But, and this is it. Like, it it's a script from J.J. Abrams, um, who, like, like you said, you know, little known J.J. Abrams, who I think has proven that he knows exactly how to make an entertaining blockbuster film. Um, you know, vary in level of quality, but he knows what makes good popcorn TV mm-hmm. or well, good popcorn films. And and and, and to be fair, uh, Jonathan Hensley. Uh, he's, he's the guy who gave us Die Hard with a Vengeance, the second best Die Hard movie. Um, he gave Mm. us The Saint, Jumanji, um, and one of my personal favorites, The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. So it's not that he's writing terrible things either. So you actually- Tony Gilmore too. Yeah, I was gonna say, and so you have guys who are writing this movie who, you know, they probably understand what they're writing, but they, it could have been worse. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, and I don't even mean that like tongue in cheek. I mean, like, like this could have been a disaster. Ha ha ha. Um, so it's got a great cast. So imagine all the people you just you just mentioned, um, which is like, you know, Bruce Willis, Bob, Bob Thornton, Buscemi, like uh, the, the late Michael Clark Duncan. But something you didn't mention was that it even has an opening narration from Charlton Heston. Um, I, I didn't even know that was him. Yep. So Charlton Heston does that that opening monologue to set the stage. Um, and as cheesy as the the pop rock song, the super billboard MTV crossover chart is, that Aerosmith song uh, has personal significance for me because I had I have I have very fond memories of dancing at my prom to that song. <laughs> um so like, you know, no matter how cheesy and just, oh, almost ridiculous that song is, well, not almost ridiculous, it's pretty ridiculous, let's be real. Um, even for an Aerosmith song, that song's pretty ridiculous. Um, it, it's got, it sticks with me, it it brings up these great emotions. Um, is, is, is that the one that plays with the, the creepy Ben Affleck, Liv Tyler scene? Or? Oh yeah, it, it, so it's there <laughs> and it's the first thing in the credits, man. It's like, you know... 
do want to close my eyes. You know, <laughs> like it, it's like it's totally like the the lyrics you would think fit the scene. But like since it's Aerosmith and everything they do is like, yeah, like it's kind of it kind of makes it like the scene feel a little greasy. It is Liv Tyler's dad singing. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. That right. Too? Isn't that creepy? Um, <laughs> so but but so all that aside, like I I care about basically every character in this movie. Um, like they are all given just enough time for me for like the stakes in the character to to draw me in. Um, mm-hmm. un- unlike many other disaster movies where it's like, hey, there's Steve. Bye, Steve. You know, you just died. Um, like like they even though we don't get a lot of time with these characters, the, the scenes are written and shot and dropped in so meticulously, which is unlike many blockbusters that all I need is five to eight seconds with a character. And then for the rest of the film, I'm, I'm a hundred percent behind that character. Mm-hmm. So, and most importantly, um, up until, like I mentioned before, uh, when I became a father and I cry all the time now, uh, Armageddon was one of like the three movies that no matter how many times I'd seen it, I cry every time. <laughs> and it's one of my most embarrassing secrets. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> I'll try not to. It's between you and me. <laughs> I mean, I mean, so, so, so I would say that's, that's probably my opening volley. Like I, I want to, f- I want to f- uh, reinforce the fact that I fully admit that this Checks tons and tons of boxes on the dumb blockbuster checklist. But at the same time, I think there are just a couple little dial turns that it has. And I'll make a, I'll make a um, in, uh, specific comparison a little bit later because I want to hear what you thought since you'd just seen this for the first time. Um, but I, but I, think it, I think it makes a couple little dial turns that, that, that take it from dumb to, oh man, it's amazing, which is how amazing blockbusters work the the line between dumb and awesome is just a so such a thin line so yeah so i think this is the most michael bay movie michael bay ever michael bayed it's (laughs) every everything that i point to as a flaw in his filmmaking and Mm -hmm. big blockbuster filmmaking is dialed to 10 here and (sighs) Literally every scene, there is some ridiculous convenience, something incredible, some like overused cliche, some re- something that could would never happen is happening, and somehow it just works. I, I was like, I was like, I don't. This film is just so bizarre in how <laughs> on any you look, take any scene on in, on in, uh, just by itself, and you can say. This is bad for this, 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 and this reason. Mm-hmm. But when it's all strung together and everything's moving and lights are flashing and things are exploding, I just had the biggest grin on my face. I was laughing out loud for like the entire last half of the film, just because, just the like the sheer audacity of the nonsense I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's amazing. Well, I think there's something to be said about uh, tone. You know, like when you when you set a tone, and this is what I think. This is this is the Abrams influence, I believe. Uh, like Star Trek does this like the it's it's like a hyper stylized reimagining of Star Trek and they Mm -hmm. never they never leave it like if they ever tried to get too serious it would stop working 
If yeah. they ever went too cartoony, it would stop working. But they live in this tension of like ridiculous fun that allows you not to take it too seriously, but also to not just write it off. Yeah, I think J.J. Abrams has just like completely perfected the uh, the style that uh, Michael Bay was kind of pioneering with mm-hmm. his early films. Uh, I think like he I think he he has a better grasp of characters than Michael Bay ever did, but he had this very similar style. I noticed I noticed uh, some J.J. Abrams uh, like uh, signatures, especially the like the exposition in the first uh, couple scenes, like where uh, he uh, I'm just gonna call spoilers just so everybody knows. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. But um. When he's when Bruce Willis is chasing Ben Affleck around with a shotgun, mm-hmm. and but there's every character is throwing around exposition about who these characters are, yeah, why they're here, and but but you don't notice it because something cool is happening, something, and like Abrams does that in all his films. And I saw yeah. that that I really enjoyed that part. Um, well, I think it's an art, really. Yeah, yeah, and so and this and I think where, where this movie works, where so many Roland Emmerich films don't, is as you talk about tone. And also the pacing, where this movie never stops. Like the one time it actually mm-hmm. stops for a, for a, for a quiet, intimate moment with characters, it involves uh, a half naked uh, Liv Tyler. So it's <laughs> it's always something. It's just moving. Mm-hmm. Whereas and the the humor is just perfectly in tone. It never tries to get too serious, or when it does, it's within an action scene, so we kind of play along. It, it's just it's just a perfectly consistent little product. Yeah. And so I would say I'm glad you mentioned Roland Emmerich because that's exactly where I want to go with this. Um, I, I think that I can totally understand why someone doesn't like Armageddon. I really do. Like I said, I went down the checklist. I think it's perfectly valid. It is, it is the most Michael Bay Michael Bay thing. Well, maybe except for some of the later transformer movies. But like when I'm watching Armageddon, I see the Transformers movies in this. I'm I'm seeing what will become the Transformers movies. So I get it. But if you are like so many other people who think Independence Day is somehow a great movie, despite how ridiculous it is, then I think you're being intellectually dishonest to bag on Armageddon if you can enjoy Independence Day. <laughs> and I'm not I saying I like this even a bit more than Independence Day. <laughs> well, I would say I would say that there. So Independence Day is it's a film that it's cool. Not not it's a cool to like. Like I, I feel when like Independence Day came out, like it's ridiculous. The, the story is ridiculous. The the characters are ridiculous. The situations are ridiculous. The the MacGuffins are ridiculous, et cetera, et cetera. But it's cool to like Independence Day. Everyone that I know, if Independence Day is on TV and they're channel surfing, they will stop and watch Independence Day probably till the end of the movie, no matter where they pick it up at. And I would say that if you like Independence Day, then there's no reason, especially if you haven't seen Armageddon, even though we're going to talk about what happens in Armageddon, but it's a blockbuster. So we're not really, you know, we're not divulging Oscar winning kind of secrets here. <laughs> Plot wise, if you like Independence Day, because this is my most, this is my pitch. If you like Independence Day, then Independence Day is the reason that this movie is great. I mean, it's also why it's bad. Um, <laughs> because one, Roland Emmerich, he made tons of terrible movies. 
Um, and even in the movies that people like that he did, they're still not that great. I mean, because, you know, Stargate, it's fun, but it's not a good movie. Like, uh, The Patriot, like, there are good things in The Patriot, but The Patriot's not really that great of a movie. Um, <laughs> he made the bad Godzilla movie, like, which means that you know which one I'm talking about because it's the bad one. Um, he made The Day After Tomorrow, which is a terrible movie. He made 10,000 BC, which I assume is terrible, but no one knows if it's terrible because no one saw it because it's probably <laughs> terrible. You know, like, so this is... And, his, and worst of all, 2012. Yeah, and then 2012, which, I mean, so he's making these disaster movies and he just can't, he can't recapture what he did in Independence Day because it's what we talked about at the beginning with Armageddon. Like, there is such a fine line between ridiculous and dumb and like fun and awesome when it comes to blockbuster films. And mm-hmm. I think the biggest strike against Armageddon is that it was written off before people really gave it a chance, probably because it was advertised like it was going to be the next big thing. Um, but if you think about the late nineties, so I'm going to go back in history before people who might be listening to this podcast were born before people who are on this podcast might've been born. Um, so like the late nineties had this resurgence of big blockbuster films. Um, or at least, you know, like the, the over the top ridiculous, what they would consider, you know, we consider popcorn films. I mean, it's, it's kind of coming to a head in 1995. You have like the Batman forever, the Apollo 13, you get Die Hard with a vengeance. Like we mentioned earlier, bad boys, golden eye, even Braveheart, you know, Braveheart, maybe not so much over the top, but still like sprawling, huge films. Mm-hmm. And 96, we finally get Independence Day. Independence Day is the film that's advertised during the Super Bowl. Does it come out for six months? And everyone loves, even though it's terrible. But you're also getting like The Rock. You're getting uh, Star Trek's First Contact when they decide that they're going to make like a crazy action film. Um, you get Twister. 97 brings Men in Black, The Fifth Element, Starship Troopers. Again, another one of my favorites. Face Off, Batman and Robin, Con Air, The Lost World, you know, Titanic, these highest grossing movies of all time. And so we get to 1998. By 1998, um, after The Lost World and Titanic are setting like box office records, like I believe, honestly, there is there is blockbuster fatigue um, because we we are pounded for years. Like I remember growing up being like, Oh my gosh, I, I didn't watch like lots of films at the time. And I was like, every, every day I'm, I'm seeing some other ridiculous film. So in 98, we finally Armageddon arrives and so does deep impact. So we're already, we already have blockbuster fatigue. Um, and then we have a film that's more or less the same thing. Like as far as like advertisement goes, and people have to choose whether they're going to be like the deep impact, like team deep impact or team Armageddon. And I've seen both these films and deep impact is a terrible film. Like <laughs> it is just a bad film. There is almost nothing memorable about deep impact. Um, uh, th- there's, there's nothing really fun about deep impact. It plays too seriously to be like a tongue in cheek popcorn action movie. Um, yet it sits at 48% on Rotten Tomatoes. Comparatively, Armageddon, the movie that we all love, um, sits at 39%. Um, and so while both of them don't have very high ratings, I can't, I cannot believe that if you ask people now to go back and watch Armageddon and watch Deep Impact, 
they would say Deep Impact is objectively a better movie. Um, <laughs> so I, I think there's a lot of factors that had people writing Armageddon off, you know, star power, oversaturation, um, things like that. But I really don't see how if you if you liked Independence Day, you don't like um, Armageddon because all Armageddon is is Independence Day just almost beat for beat, really, because I have this list here that I can go down, but I'm not going to go down yet. Cause I want to hear what you think about this theory. Um, uh, just, just, just tone down one notch. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think this film has aged a lot better than independence day, especially in the effects department. Um, definitely. And, and I, I know people say like the matrix was like one of the most influential films in the act in action, American action. But honestly, I think Michael Bay is just is was more influential, especially in the look of this film. I mean, I uh, besides some of the, the obviously dated effect shots, the majority of this film could have been released yesterday, mm-hmm. just because the visual style, how the shots are framed, the the editing techniques, it has it's it's like the norm nowadays. And it was I was surprised like watching the film, then going looking, having come out in nineteen ninety eight. It doesn't look that old. It looks, it looks, it look, it looks great. And like where a film like Independence Day, it, it doesn't look bad, but you can tell it's definitely a '90s film. And this doesn't feel like a '90s film. Well, I mean, this film could come out in 2017, and by all, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's going to when Transformers: The Last Night comes out because it's Michael Bay doing what Michael Bay does best just ten years ago. Like mm-hmm. he, 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 like you, like I said, you can criticize him for over sexualization for not having real great cohesive plot elements in the films that he makes or being big and dumb or being racist or whatever thing that you find in his film that you find a problem with. But the man knows what looks awesome in a yes. shot when, when it comes to something blowing up. Like, I mean, like, like he made Pearl Harbor and as a history guy, I was so excited to see that movie. And it's probably (laughs) one of the worst movies I have ever seen in my entire life. Um, But during the actual attack on Pearl Harbor, that's some of the coolest, like explosive uh, over the top battle scenes that I've seen. Um, Not Mm -hmm. realistic battle scenes, but kind of over the top um, engaging action scenes. You know, and I think he show, he shows that he can do it on a more serious note because um, was it thirteen hours? Um, yeah, I watched that last year, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a, I mean, obviously it's a Michael Bay film because it looks like a Michael Bay film, but it just had like a more coherent story. I'm like, oh, well, see, he knows what yeah, he's he, doing. Especially like, which is what what shocked me so much of how this film worked is like, I like him when he when he's he's more toned down, streamlined, like uh, The Rock or Thirteen Hours. They're, obviously, one's more goofy than the other, but they're they're not as absurd as like the, his Transformers films. And so that's what surprised me so much is that this film actually has everything I hate about Michael <laughs> Bay, but works, but it works. Yeah. Well, and I'd say like, so I, I will tell you why I think this works and I think it works because independence day works. Um, so if you think about what you see in independence day, um, I almost want to play like a game. Like, am I talking about independence day or am I talking about Armageddon? <laughs> uh, the trick is obviously they're both. So I'm thinking of, um, there are lots of rant or seemingly random cuts to introduce 
tertiary characters during the ominous opening. I was like, nailed it. Um, there is an initial destruction that puts our heroes together. Okay. There is a super nerd with a completely common job that you would never think that he was that smart for doing. Um, and also, uh, point B is every smart person in the 90s, if you want to say that how smart they were, they all went to MIT. <laughs> so, because uh, we have three people in Armageddon who apparently went to MIT, um, as opposed to just Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day. Uh, <laughs> um, there is a proposal before a guy blasts off into outer space. Uh, there is a big speech montage with the president character. Um, there is an outrageous plan um, that does not make any sense in reality to overcome the obstacle. Uh, <laughs> we find out through the uncovering of MacGuffins, or I mean the plot, that the government conveniently has lots of secret things that help our heroes out. Um, uh, you know, thank you, government. Ta that's your tax dollars at work. Um, there are iconic uh, destruction of major cities and landmarks. And we get endless, and I do mean endless, montages of people from all around the world watching TVs and listening to radios. While America saves the day. While America saves the day, because hashtag America. <laughs> and also a, a screw up dad sacrifices himself to save the world. Yeah. I mean, screw up. You, you get the you get the dad who wasn't a really good father, but, you know, sacrifices himself in the end. I, I mean, like all almost every character in here is is represented some somehow you get kind of like the 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 funny uh, almost uh, fearless sidekick who ends up dying way earlier than everyone else in the film. Uh, I mean, like I said, it's just, <laughs> there, there are so many, it's, it's almost like they went to the writers and said, Hey guys, can you just do independence day again? Cause we're still making money on that one. <laughs> and they say, Oh yeah. Oh, I got this. And I got this new guy, JJ Abrams. Like he's written like this one film, but like, you're going to really love it. And, and it just works. Yeah. So, so like I said, all these things that I list Armageddon does that independence day did, they just did it like at a nine as opposed to a 10. Um, and, I, and so I don't understand. Like, it, well, okay, let me ask you a question so I can stop talking all the time on your podcast. Um, <laughs> it is, because I think there is, is there a character that you just didn't like in Armageddon? Like, you didn't care about. Like, you you were like, thank God they died. Uh, I kind of wanted Steve Buscemi to die. <laughs> okay, but aren't you supposed to want him to die by then? Uh, probably yeah. Yeah, you like you didn't want Steve Buscemi to die until he started and, firing off the mini gun. Yeah, which, and, and why is there a mini gun and, in space? Yeah, why is there why is there a gun in space? Which is funny because like just a couple scenes before that, there was a, another gun that they they used, um, which points out like because like they realize how ridiculous their MacGuffin is, right? So you yeah. just you watch Ben Affleck shoot the side of uh, the Independence um, to get out in the rover. And you're like, why is there a gun in space? Like, who who said they need guns on these things? And then you have what what Max or whatever is like, why do they have guns in space? <laughs> so, I mean, like I said, that's that, that's that, like, self-aware. Anyway, 
So yeah, so besides Stevie Buscemi, who I think script-wise and character arc-wise, a character arc for like such a side character, um, who who who, you know, who else dies that that um you didn't care about? I don't, I don't know if I would use the word care, <laughs> but I, I it's a ve- it's a very likable cast. They cast great actors to portray these big personalities. They, mm-hmm. Every one of them stands out in your mind, and you feel the loss when they're gone. Yeah. Which which is something that you do not get in bad blockbuster films. Like, do you even remember anyone who died in like the day after tomorrow or 2012? Like, who cares? Like, well, uh, I remember Woody Harrelson being taken out by a volcano rock or something. He's, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> otherwise, not really. Yeah, but it, like even even generally unlikable characters in Armageddon, like. Ben Affleck's character, um, who is kind of snooty and whatever, like you still don't want him to die. Like you care mm-hmm. about his character for what he is. Um, I mean, like, oh, like I'm sitting there, like, so I used to only tear up at the end of this film, um, because of, oh yeah, because of obviously, like, you go take care of my little girl. That's your job now. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm done. I am done. <laughs> I'm like, why am I a grown man weeping at a Michael Bay film for reasons that are not because of like bad film choices? Um, but before that, oh my goodness, when um, when Will Patton character, um, he he's the uh, the the, guy, the divorced father. Yeah, or the way we th- maybe divorced, but see, that's the thing; it doesn't matter. Like mm-hmm. he's the estranged father when he shows up and. He's just like I like he doesn't go like you need to let me see my son like he is he is always like he is always totally perfect for you to sympathize with him a thousand percent yeah um, because like normally how how do you make an absentee father like likable in one scene and they do it like mm-hmm. he leaves he all he does is leave a little space shuttle he doesn't try to push his agenda he doesn't try to say like I am. I'm going away and you're never going to see me again. He just says like, I've got something big and I just want him to leave this for him. Don't even tell him who it's from. Like just so unassuming. And so that I'm getting chills right now. Oh my gosh. I'm getting chills right now. Just when, when, when he, when his son says, you know, uh, mom, the salesman's on TV and she walks, you know, she walks over there and looks and her, her mouth just drops. And, Oh my gosh, that's such a like it's such a great little scene, um, but it's so cheesy and yeah, I love it. it, it I totally ate into it. It's so openly manipulative. Yeah, but it works. But it Why? works. <laughs> oh yeah, like, and like uh, another character I really loved. Um, I remember when they, when they were approaching the, the the Russian space station, they said, "Oh well, he's been there for uh for um whatever it's like a year alone, so he's gonna yeah. be a little odd." I was like, "Okay, this will be fun." And who is it? Of course, it's, it's Peter Stormare. Who That's else? That's right. That's right. And it's amazing. <laughs> and he's great. And he's got great dialogue. And uh, he's fun. And you and like from from the first time he opens his mouth, you totally love his character. Um, this is how we do it in the Russia. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I just like I said, they're they're like they. It feels like they knew exactly what they wanted every character to be, and it works. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, I said there was like one guy that never got any time, um, who died towards the end. The, um, the guy who loved his mama. 
Uh, no, 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 no. Because uh, that was that was Max, I believe. Or the, the military, the, the military guy. Um, was it a military guy? I thought it was or, somebody on the drill drill thing who just had like a random name. But um, he he gets like uh, impaled by the spikes there towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's like on their drill team and he seems to know everybody, but like he never gets like a just like a five second like scene. I think he was one of William Fickner's guys, I believe. Oh, uh, okay. Um, yeah, so he, he just kind of, he's gone and you don't care about him, but like he didn't, he didn't get a thing. Mm-hmm. He didn't get five seconds. You yeah. Know? I, yeah. I think one thing that makes this film work so much more than Roland Emmerich stuff or even later Michael Bay films is the pacing. There is never a quiet, the, 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 there's never a moment where something is important isn't happening. And it's, especially once they go to space. Oh yeah! Literally every five minutes, there's a malfunction. Something yeah. goes wrong. Rocks start exploding for absolutely no reason that's ever explained. Uh, Rocks are mean, just exploding. You mean because but, science? Yeah, and it's it's like that. Just the whole thing is just ramping up. We get a we're gonna do this. Oh no! There's this obstacle. Oh no! This is gonna happen. Oh no! The transmission blew out. Oh no! They're on Earth. They're gonna detonate the bomb, and. Normally, manufactured tension, it sticks out like a sore thumb. And mm-hmm. especially the scene with uh, William Fichtner where he's trying to decide whether to, to follow his orders or do the right thing. And I normally, I hate those scenes because I'm like, dude, you know what's the right thing to do. This is just fake drama. But so, the way he played it, he played it with like such conviction yeah. that I bought it. And I didn't hate his character. I normally hate those characters. I like him. But and it's you get... <laughs> And this is a Michael Bay film. Why? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it doesn't so, make it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it just if you are willing to just allow the film to sweep you up, it it, it just it takes you along. And everything is stupid, but it's all amazing. <laughs> I feel like that's a TED talk. <laughs> Everything's yeah. stupid, but it's all amazing. Um, no, yeah, it, I wish I could. I wish I could articulate it better. Like I said, I, I've been. I, in preparation for the podcast, I wanted to throw a couple of theories out there, either why it's underrated or, you know, like what kind of person should like this and like intellectually, like how can you uh, be logically consistent about enjoying this film if you enjoy other things? But I think this could be like a doctoral thesis. Why is this movie good? Um, <laughs> and like you could write 70 pages trying to uncover the layer after layer of how just intricately perfect like it strikes that balance along that line that we've already admitted is so thin, such a narrow, narrow line. Um, and it just, like I said, it just works. Uh, like I said, I like when, when there's a movie and I like every character, like I said, this, this is the independence day thing for me. I've seen tons of movies about people fighting aliens and it's usually just like, Oh, well that was a movie about fighting aliens. But in, Every every time someone has a hard decision to make or we lose a character in Independence Day, it's tough. And the fact that they're not they're not um they're not afraid to lose characters. Yeah. Yeah, that that, that like I, I didn't expect Owen Wilson to go out so soon. Yeah. And it surprised me. Yeah. Especially because, you know, he like seemed like he was gonna keep coming on with comic relief. And, you know, you recognize him, it's Owen Wilson. Um, and he bites it in pretty in ignanimous way. You know, it was just, Oh, well, some, you know, that they wrecked. So someone was going to die, you know, like it happens. Like just launch the guy in the drill out to space. He's gone. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, just that's what happens. And I mean, and like I said, again, that's what we get in Independence Day. Like people are trying to flee the explosions. Sometimes you just can't get out and you die, you know, mm-hmm. I, like and we care about those characters like, you know, when homegirl is on the roof in Independence Day holding holding that sign being like, oh, you already care about <laughs> her because you've seen her in like another quick scene or two. And you're like, no, we just got introduced to her. There's no way that like, like we would care about her and they would knock her out of the film this early, but they do. I yeah. mean, so it's just, um, it's weird. Mm-hmm. Like you, like in Armageddon, you get the, um, um, Oh, like the Eddie Griffin scene with him and his dog. And you're like, Hey, I recognize that guy. Well, I mean, I recognize that guy because he was, he was, which more, was he? Is he, he, so he was the black guy that had the small puppy, like in New York and, um, oh, in, in Armageddon? Yeah, in Armageddon. Okay, sorry, okay, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. I, know I'm, yeah. I know I'm bouncing back and forth trying to compare the two. So, you know, he goes up to the newsstand and they have that little that little scuffle that kind yeah. of seems almost like Michael a Michael Bay hates scene. Hawaiians. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> um, uh, you know, but that's like a random scene. You're like, oh, well, you know, what's happening here? And, you know, freaking meteor hits and we don't see him again. He was just a, it was just an aside scene to... Help help ground us in what's going on in that particular place. Yeah, Michael Bay will blow up Paris, but he's not going to kill a dog. He he, That's has, right. he has a heart. Well, I mean, you know, you got limits. You know, he's not a monster. <laughs> so yeah. All right. So, are there any more, like specific scenes or, or elements that you enjoyed? You want to discuss? Um, I, I did make a small list of all the things that make me cry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like most of it is. Uh, I just, I just kept smiling at some of the scenes, like having not watched this film in a couple years, just, just really being impressed, seeing exactly what they're doing, seeing how they're making me care about characters. Um, I guess, I guess seeing lots more Michael Bay films for, for good or for bad, you know, since, uh, I've seen Armageddon, um, seeing lots of the things that he does, I, trying to be trying to wonder if I'm being emotionally manipulated yet at the same time, not caring. Yes. Um, like I said, every, every time that Bruce will, I mean, and Bruce Willis sells this role so hard. Like you would think, why is he bringing his like a plus plus game to, um, you know, popcorn space movie. But like I said, when he, when he pulls out, um, Affleck or you know AJ's uh, air thing and throws him back in there and tells him to take care of his little girl because that's his job now and then he says you know I've always thought of you as a son I'm just like oh my gosh um, and the cuts back to Liv Tyler and I've always thought Liv Tyler was a bit of an airhead and not really <laughs> my cup of tea but you know just seeing her you know yell daddy at the screen she um, looks good and she cries really well yeah and, so when he and so when she's doing what she does best and you have Bruce Willis just like up on every screen, you know, saying like, I'm going to have to break that promise. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like you just went from like there was the dude telling like Steve Buscemi just telling jokes, comic relief, like just 30 seconds ago. Um, and now like he's pouring his heart out and I'm totally buying it. Mm-hmm. And. And the, the strained relationship. So when, you know, uh, uh, 
when uh, I keep wanting to call him Bruce, but when Harry, when Harry is, um, you know, sending AJ up in the, in the thing and he's like, I love you, you know? Um, and he just like, I love you, Harry, you know, <laughs> like realizing that sometimes when we're at the end of things, when we have no time left to posture, when we have nowhere else to go and we strip all the pomp and circumstance, we strip away the pride. Um, all we have left is like this truth and this honesty. So something that you could subtly feel all through the film. Um, and that was hinted at like with this basically surrogate father role, um, in, in a non-stressful or non-relatively stressful as opposed to saving the earth stressful. Um, you're seeing Harry and AJ, give each other the the recurring I only want to hear five words thing because they're dudes and they're not expressing their emotion and like I said it's beautiful it is it is legitimately beautiful in this ridiculous mo mo uh, movie I'm seeing this beautiful moment of truth um where when you're at the end of all things and you can only say one thing to a person you get I've always thought of you as a son. I love you. Take care of my little girl. And you get, I love you, Harry. Don't do this, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so, crazy, ridiculous explosions. Um, you get Fincher coming, or uh, Filcher coming down um, um, as Colonel William Sharp and saying, like, I want to shake the hand of the daughter of the most, in the bravest man I've ever seen. And, uh, it gets me. It gets me when uh, uh, when Harry, with the whole the weight of the entire world literally on his shoulders, still remembers uh, the conversation he had with Truman, Billy Bob Thornton's character, about like his own um, limitations and wishing that one day he could get one of those mission patches, mm -hmm. and, and and delivers that patch to him. I mean, it's just like there's so many so many small scenes. That, that you pointed out are at a, an incredibly, uh, I mean, uh, almost a violently unrelenting pace in this film. But the, almost every scene pays off later somehow. Yeah. So, I mean, just, uh, I love it. I, I love it. And I, I don't care what other people say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's one thing I had written down. said, uh, like, Neither Ben Affleck or Liv Tyler were very good in this movie. Like, mm -hmm. uh, uh, but something about that relationship with Bruce Willis's like harsh disapproval, like looming over it, it just works. Yeah, I don't, when they're singing that song before he leaves and all the guys join in, it's the dumbest moment ever. But I'm smiling because it's so sweet. Yeah, and and that 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 the relationship does kind of. It is kind of the heart of this film, and it still works in spite of them being pretty pretty bad. Yeah. Like, especially I don't I don't think Liv Tyler is a bad actress. She does good jobs in other films, but something about her, especially in the first half of this film, it felt like she was doing ADR for everything with a bad head cold. It just sounded weird. Maybe that's just her voice. Well, they they really didn't give her like a lot to do. Like chastise your dad. 
say that it's not fair that you love this guy and then be real sad and angry a lot. Like, I mean, given not a lot of people have a lot of time to shine in this film, but it does seem like their relationship is enigmatic or uh, not enigmatic, but indicative of many of the relationships that I see in Michael Bay films. Um, like him just not knowing how to convey visually human love. Um, human anything. Well, well, <laughs> well, well, see that not, not totally human, anything, but, and not even human love. That's too broad. Like human romantic love. Like it's always, it's always over sexualized. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's the way he, at least I'm, I don't think he's a dumb man. I think he's probably way smarter at filmmaking than I will ever be. in most people that he'll ever meet probably. But when every time it comes down to making a relationship, love look like love on screen, it's, it's boiled down to an animal cracker going down like into a woman's underwear like that. That is his idea of showing romantic love. And I, that doesn't work for me. And it doesn't, it didn't sound like it worked for you. But the thing that worked is this script, I believe was good enough that all the other characters took their relationship seriously enough that I took it seriously. Yeah. All, it, all he needed to make a good romance was to put, 10,000 miles between the two <laughs> romantically. Yeah. The, the, actually, yeah, the further they are apart, the more I like their relationship. So, yeah. Astute observation. Did you have any, any other positives you wanted to mention before I moved on? Um, I would, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to say positive. Like, the start of the film, all the stuff in the middle, and then the end. <laughs> that's my favorite part of this film. Or that's the, that's the positives, I think, of this film. All right. Okay. Did, did you have anything that you didn't like that you wanted to mention that just that you wish wasn't in the film? Um, that I wish wasn't in the film. So I think we've mentioned the things that I would I would nitpick about, but I think it it still all feeds into like in a in a vacuum. There are things that I would have a problem with, like Ben Affleck's acting like Liv Tyler in this film. But as a whole, all the things that don't work for me personally or individually, they actually, they somehow come together in this very large puzzle that don't really bother me that much. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the only thing that I thought that was even remotely exhausting for a two and a half hour film, right? Uh, was the fact that I kept by the time they got to the asteroid, I said, like, does something, and you mentioned this earlier, does something have to go wrong with every single thing? (laughs) Like they can't, you know, everything. Um, Rocks just explode. Yeah. Rocks just explode. Like, you know, I, why is it that, you know, gas, you know, takes out one thing, but Aflac can go right through. Like, it's just, it is a little bit of, uh, like kind of like this created drama. And I, I, I was, I was getting exhausted of things going wrong, but at the same time, I, it, it kept things at a pace that I couldn't turn away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'm torn on that. Like it it is so dumb, but I, I, I fully convinced if it ever stopped for a second to be serious, this film would be horrible. Yeah. It would, it would be deep impact. Mm-hmm. So, which apparently means that it would be what twelve percent better or something like that. 
I don't understand. Yeah, except for people still talk about Armageddon. <laughs> even if, even if you yell, yell about yeah. it, no one says anything about that one. Okay. Oh, also, I, I'll say this. Um, and I, I did kind of mention this before. The um, Almost the entire movie is like a score that I think works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, not like the best score in the entire world, but I think it does what it's supposed to. Um, and then a little bit more, which makes the use of Aerosmith songs in this movie jarring when you hear them. <laughs> and if it weren't for my particular fondness um, of the, especially the the one song the don't want to close my eyes or whatever, then it would be obnoxious. And I think to most people it is because most people didn't dance at their senior prom to this song. So, yeah, I, I'm not very familiar with Aerosmith. So it's just like, I just took it all in stride. Oh, this is another Michael baby, Michael Bay. And just, it's all <laughs> well, I mean, I, yeah. I love it, this is score is, up, but it, this uh, is just a different beast. Yeah, the score is definitely very nineties. Michael Bay just, and okay. A couple of my problems, as I said, Liv Tyler, she's, not mm-hmm. terribly great. And then Check. almost all of the mindless explosions I was fine with, but they blew up. They literally nuked Paris and never mentioned it again. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I sure blow up a random Hawaiian guy. Okay, whatever. But it's just like, if you're going to blow up an entire city, at least have some kind of consequence. If you want me smiling at the end. Yeah. Well, can I, t- did, did it, um, did it bother you? That there is a throwaway line um, after the after the asteroid is split. They said it's split. It's going to miss us, and uh, everything else seems to be burning up in the atmosphere. Yay! Like 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 somehow you could split an asteroid the size of Texas, and it wouldn't splinter and then rain down all kinds of sadness on the entire Earth. Um, my logic sensors had been melted by then. So <laughs> you're I like, I, I had already given up. <laughs> I just imagine you there, like, like with a piece of paper, writing down all the like the logical fallacies, like, or just like the the no way kind of things. And you're just like mm-hmm. flipping through this piece of paper as fast as you can write. And it's somewhere <sighs> once they land on the asteroid, you just kind of throw it up in the air, and you're like, I give up. This is yeah. great. Well, I did that by the time you started firing a, a shotgun around pressurized tanks. <laughs> it's done. yeah and my final dislike was just the completely random strip club scenes like oh yeah it's not a michael bay movie unless he's objectifying women somehow that's right and it's just like why you didn't need to do that so it serves no purpose and but other than that i i i can't honestly put anything as a dislike because it all works together in this beautifully Mm -hmm. oiled machine (laughs) yeah because i mean like all the characters would have probably been in a strip club like we do, we need to really see it. Maybe not, but like or these like these long shots just goggling them. It's yeah, 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 yeah. But um, yeah, but like I said, you can imagine why the characters were there. You don't think like they had to be manufactured to be there for no reason. So <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, did you have any more dislikes before you went into our uh, final thoughts? Oh no, I'm I'm done. Like I said, dislikes. What what's the dislike with this film? <laughs> All right. And, uh, just a, what are your kind of closing thoughts uh, for this movie? 
Well, I feel like my closing thoughts would basically be a summation. Like, look, if for some reason you saw this in circa 1998, and you haven't seen this in many years, and you still stop the TV anytime you see Independence Day on, just give Armageddon another chance. I'm not saying that you're going to be mad that it didn't win an Oscar. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's going to be like in your top 10 films of all time, but I think you will really enjoy it. And from my understanding, that is the definition of, in many ways, of underrated. Um, I think if you revisit this film, you will find that for various reasons, it was written off um, well ahead of its time. Because, like you pointed out, it it still kind of holds up in a lot of ways, surprisingly. Yeah. I guess for me, it's, as I've said before, I could think of so many things wrong with it. But just, I, I would agree that we you do have to take just pure entertainment value. And normally I don't like that when people say, Oh, it's, but suicide squad's fun or something. <laughs> it's, there is, there rough. is, there is an element of art in just how, how this is put together. There, there is, there is definite skill. And I think just for somebody interested in film, I think it's fascinating just how influential this visual style is. Mm -hmm. And just the look of this film and the, the, the way, things are cut nowadays it's, it's fascinating just to, on that front and just it's just it's fun it's just, just turn your brain off and i normally don't even say that but just turn <laughs> your brain off and just smile i was i was literally belly laughing for the entire last half of this film because it's so great um so yeah i guess <laughs> that's my thoughts on armageddon I'm, I'm really glad you uh got me to see this well like i said i it's it's so hard to think of films that are underrated because I just not really cared. But mm -hmm. like when people don't like, I was like, well, it's good. Like I like it. Just, I don't care. Um, and I'm like, what do people not actually like it? Like how do people not like it? And then I got into a couple conversations recently where someone was like, you know what? I think the dumbest film ever was. And I was like, what? They're like Armageddon. I was like, you shut your mouth. Well, they're not wrong. Technically. Um, <laughs> I was like, I was like, you've never seen Starship Troopers too. That's one of the worst films ever made. <clears throat> so uh, yeah yeah all right uh i'm gonna give you another chance to like uh, plug anything you uh you might be up to oh man um so i have sadly not had a real world theology episode about armageddon which is okay because as gabe's pointed out there's not a lot there um at least a lot of serious depth um but if you would like to turn your brain on and talk about, or at least listen to some pretty smart people that are not me, talk about <laughs> current films and what their people are getting out of those films, either overtly or subvertly, then I would really recommend that you, you know, give us a listen over at realworldtheology.com and just See if you like what we have to say, because I think there's a lot going on in film, because I, I honestly do believe that story is powerful, and it's the way that you can get in an argument and win without someone never knowing that you were in the argument. Just tell a good story. And I think, again, we're in the golden age of storytelling, 
So if that strikes your fancy, you know, go over to the site, check it out, find us on iTunes or, well, literally almost anywhere you can find a podcast. And follow me on Twitter, at Fizzification, always letting people know what we're up to. Um, yeah, that's, I, probably, I, I, that's probably the big stuff. I definitely recommend this podcast as well. It's, it's really good. As, as long as they're not talking about BVS or Good Dinosaur, it's a really good podcast. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Or, or Minions. And, or Minions. Yeah. Gosh. Minions. <laughs> that was a hard podcast. Minions is probably the hardest podcast I've done because that's a, literally one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I avoided that one because of that. You, you have chosen wisely. Thank you. All right, <laughs> and I'd like to ask you guys if you enjoy this podcast to please go and uh, rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe. We'd really appreciate that. And also, if you want to follow us, you can like us on Facebook. Um, we're on Facebook as Underrated Podcast. And if you want to find older rep- older episodes, you can find them at uh, underratedpodcast.com and follow us on Twitter at underrated underscore pod. And uh, next week uh, should be out of the furnace. I know where we said we're going to do out of the furnace this week and I lied to you. I'm sorry, but <laughs> it will probably be that next week unless something else happens. Uh, I can't recommend highly enough. If you guys enjoy this show, um, if you're not a podcaster, I don't think you really understand the gravity and the helpfulness of reviewing uh, this podcast on iTunes. It, it helps a podcast so much to get not only like a, a five star rating, but a written, even if it's just a couple words, review um it helps people find this podcast it helps get the word out um and you just, the more people that listen the more fun the community is the more fun the show is so if you have just two or three minutes go to the underrated podcast on itunes give it a you know give it a, a rating give it a review you're doing everyone a favor including yourself appreciate that mikey and uh yeah thanks for coming on this is a lot of fun <laughs> Oh, no. I, I say this anytime I have the fortune to guest on anyone's podcast. As a podcast host, I usually spend most of my time trying to let my guests talk as much as possible. And when I get to guest, I, I get to talk way more, and which means <laughs> I, get, I, get to, I get to finally like gush about a film or something. So it's always an incredible pleasure to talk about film with people who love film. So I really appreciate the invite. Um, I hope that anyone out there listening has enjoyed me going off on my conspiracy theories and, uh, you know, keep talking about film. All right. So we hope you enjoyed our review of Armageddon and we will see you next week with out of the furnace. Bye. Bye.